You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Don Guerra. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April 11, 2022. Later in the program, the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, United Electrical Workers, voted overwhelmingly in support of a strike, which is set to happen later this week. WFHB News spoke with several members of the organization in light of recent headlines. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton proposed to increase local income taxes during last week's city council meeting. More coming up in your daily headlines. On April 4th, at the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting, Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development, John Zodi, suggested that the amount of money the Redevelopment Commission offers for emergency home repairs be increased permanently due to the rising costs for construction materials. One item on my report tonight on agenda item C under number six, uh, we're going to ask you to consider uh, the increase of a, um, a emergency home repair amount again. And I want to just provide some context there. You've, we've, we've asked you to do a number of these over the last several months. And um, we think it's important that probably later this summer or at a time if the commission feels another time is appropriate to revisit our program guidelines and look at revising those more permanently so that we aren't uh, sort of doing this in a... Uh, case-by-case basis, if you will. We'd like to be a little more consistent. Prices being what they are and work getting done is just more expensive generally, so we think it's time to take a look at those again. So just to let you know when that comes up, that that is something the staff is uh, recommending we do uh, here before the end of the summer. Economic and Sustainable Development Director Alex Crowley gave an update on the retail spaces available at parking garages. One of the commissioners asked for an update on um, on the retail spaces in the garage, just generally. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, as you know, there there are uh, spaces at the Trade Sister Garage on the north side of the building. It's about 4,500 square feet, something like that. And then there's a number of spaces on, at the Fourth Street Garage facing Walnut, um, and there are about three or four spaces there um, that aren't being used. One is being used by uh, the parking services group. So um, we are actually in, in somewhat active discussions for the trades district space um, and I'll hopefully bring more information about that at the next meeting um, and uh, that would be for the entirety of the space if that were to work out. Um, and so we, we've, we've had some nibbles other than what the group that we're talking to right now. Um, it's kind of a tough commercial moment, you know, as, as all of you know in the commercial industry so or the commercial uh, real estate uh, sector. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really interested in trying to fill the spaces, obviously, and hopefully we, we can get that one filled. The 4th Street one, we have not gotten a lot of uh, recent interest in. We uh, did get a fairly substantial amount of interest a while back. Uh, the economics didn't end up working out for that potential tenant. So 
that one is a little bit less active right now. Um, certainly, we'll bring you updates as we as we uh, hear about it. My sense is things are maybe starting to pick up a little bit in commercial real estate, but it's not where it needs to be, and, and uh, so it may take a little bit of time. Zodi asked the commissioners to approve the increase of emergency home repair funding for a mobile home. We are asking, as I mentioned before, asking the commission to um, consider uh, the increase of an emergency home repair. This is for a mobile home for a resident here in Bloomington. Um, as you know, the cap is $3,500. Uh, we have cost estimates um, that are uh, coming back at varied amounts, uh, which require us to ask for an increase of $4,500, um, not to exceed $8,000. This is largely for uh, four floor repairs in the uh, sort of main uh, thoroughfare of the, the residence, as well as in the kitchen. The board approved the increase unanimously. The next meeting will be held on April 18th. On April 6th, at the Bloomington City Council meeting, Mayor John Hamilton presented his proposal to increase the local income tax. Bloomington is at a pivot point. You've all heard me describe pressing needs confronting us several times. I'll begin tonight with a different voice. Mayor Tommy Allison made the following comments in a 1984 memo to City Council that first established the local option income tax. Quote, no government official wants to raise taxes which are unnecessary, but our first obligation is to provide basic services to our citizens. We must maintain the high quality of our police and fire services. We must maintain our streets, curbs, sidewalks, our equipment inventory, and our city facilities, close quote. This 1984 income tax of 0.5% was raised another 0.5% five years later in a 1989 council action, bringing that basic lit local income tax to 1% some 30 years ago, where it stayed until 2016, when the Local Income Tax Council raised a 0.25% public safety lit to support critical investments in that sector. For three decades, together we have provided those essential services, but in order to continue to do so, with several revenue sources declining, with city services and facilities expanding, with pressure on our employees and our expenses increasing, we must have additional revenue to continue the excellence that we have achieved and that our residents expect. Hamilton said that Monroe County currently has a low local income tax compared to surrounding counties and that the proposed 0.855 percentage increase would put Monroe County in the middle with three counties with a higher income tax and three counties with a lower income tax. Councilmember Jim Sims responded to the mayor's proposal, saying he agreed a new revenue source is needed, but also warned that other costs have increased in the community as well. I think it's very, very important. Uh, we talked about priorities. Um, speaking for myself, I think it's pretty clear that we're going to need a new revenue source. 
I think in our conversations, it's been clear on my part how much <laughs> that we're actually going to need. Um, and we've also talked about the impact on, and particularly those that are the least of us in our community from an income standpoint. Also, I am concerned, well, not so much concerned, but I want to look at the impact. Not only we're talking lit, but every couple of years we're looking at utility rates increase. We're looking at other things. So I'm sure that's part of your thinking as we move forward. During public comment, Peter Dwarfman responded to the mayor's presentation and asked the council to ensure the rate is feasible for all residents. Um, when I saw earlier today the number, the gross figure that uh, the mayor was asking for in the increase, I didn't choke at it. I, I, you know, I didn't find it a nightmarish number, but I can say with, I think, complete confidence that I don't speak for many of my uh, neighbors in the near west side, which contrary to uh, opinions that are held in some quarters, is not one of the more prosperous neighborhoods in the city. Um, I, I think uh, you have your constituent meetings coming up. I hope you will go out of your way to uh, get impressions from a wide variety of, of your constituents about how they feel about the overall number. I also am hoping that uh, we'll see a robust debate on the specific uses of funds uh, that the mayor is proposing. Um, in Appendix B of the proposal that the mayor produced recently about how he would spend this money, um, under the innocent-sounding heading Equality and Quality of Life for All, I find uh, a vague reference to something that is called, quote, supporting missing housing types. Um, I would like to know precisely what use of funds that phrase represents and have that discussed publicly before uh, the council moves forward with this. Thank you very much. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will be held on April 13th. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on April 6th, the commissioners approved a grant the health department received from the Indiana Family Health Council. Monroe County Board of Health Director Penny Quarrell explained the future grant is a $15,000 grant for the Future Family Planning Clinic. Commissioner Julie Thomas said this grant is made possible because of the hard work of the health department. Uh, this is just a great example of the hard work that our public <laughs> health department does. So excellent work uh, getting this additional, these additional funds. County Attorney Jeff Cockrell presented an agreement with Fox Construction for highway garage relocation. This bid was opened last week. We had two bidders. Uh, Fox Construction was the lowest uh, bidder, and they have done work with us in the past, namely the uh, emergency management building out at the highway. Um, essentially, what the scope of this work is is to revamp the current area, current areas of our uh, highway garage, so that we can move uh, more office staff out there. It's essentially it's taking a lot of some of the uh, parts areas and making it into office spaces and redoing some windows and adding parking. Highway Director Lisa Ridge explained that it will be better to have everyone in the department under one roof. Thomas said that it was not easy to relocate a department and noted that the project has taken a lot of time and work. The motion to approve the contract with Fox Construction passed unanimously. The commissioners also heard from Ridge about a contract with Yasmin L. Stump Law Group 
for the Fullerton Pike Stage 3 project. The contract amount is yet to be determined. Um, so we have used this firm on a couple other projects. Uh, it's only on an as-needed basis if we have to, if we cannot reach negotiations with the property owner for a project. This is for Fullerton Pike Phase 3. And actually, the uh, right-of-way acquisition is going very well. Um, we are over half completed with the acquisition. So um, at this point, I don't anticipate using the services, but we always have it as a backup in case we need to um, seek out their assistance. The commissioners' meeting will be held on April 13th. The commissioners approved the contract unanimously. the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition United Electrical Workers opened a virtual strike authorization vote. The strike vote was tallied on Monday afternoon with 97.8% voting in favor of the strike. 1,031 total votes were cast, with 1,008 voting in favor of striking. That means a strike will proceed on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. WFHB News volunteers spoke with several organizers behind the Indiana University Graduate Workers Coalition about their demands for better working conditions and lower fees. Nora Weber, a fourth-year Ph.D. student in sociology at Indiana University, gave some context behind why this is happening now. Weber explained how the Grad Workers Coalition came together, the reasons behind the looming strike, and how the movement has garnered support from students, faculty, and outside organizations. About three years ago, grad workers came together across campus and started having real meaningful conversations about what our conditions look like at IU. Many people at IU who are graduate workers have not seen pay increases in a decade. Departments haven't seen pay increases in a decade. And yet we've seen that the cost of living in Bloomington has gone up, continues to go up, and IU continues to charge us higher fees to do our work, particularly increased fees for international grad workers. And this amounts to us seeing not just a, a, a poor base quality of living, but also a real <laughs> decrease in the, in the quality of life that we're able to have as, as the conditions around us become more precarious. And this is a, an issue that ties into you know, the accessibility of higher education, of who is able to come to IU to pursue graduate work and graduate life and have access you know, to the opportunity to, to be here. So, so on those conversations and meetings three years ago, that turned into the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. And what we represent is, is the work that we do at Indiana University. Many people know that we already have a grad and professional student government, which represents us as students. And we are proud to have the endorsement of the graduate and professional student government of the coalition as the body that represents us as, as workers on campus as well. And the work that grad workers do across campus really is central to the daily functioning of IU. We teach more than a thousand courses on campus. In addition, we do grading, we do office hours, we run labs, we run studios, we mentor students in all kinds of ways. And grad workers enjoy this. You know, we, we love our work. We are committed to doing really high quality work. We also believe that we shouldn't be having to take out loans and choose between uh, just to cover basic needs. We shouldn't be having to take on three extra side jobs just to cover food and rent. 
we shouldn't, you know, have to be in this situation of precarity every single month as things around us get worse. And as we see the IU administration continue to pour resources into other parts of, of the university, but not us as workers. And so last fall and last summer, the Indiana Grad Workers Coalition started collecting signatures of union cards to indicate whether we would like to be represented collectively. And as of right now, we have almost 1,800 out of 2,500, which is a super majority of union cards signed. So that is an overwhelming majority of Indiana graduate workers who would like to be represented collectively and bargain collectively with the university. It's a really powerful statement. And we see this as, you know, a solidarity among the grad workers on campus and also a recognition that our strength on campus and our position on campus is stronger when we act together. Unfortunately, the university's response to, to this the whole time has been to ignore us. They've said, you know, we'll we'll make some changes, but when we've pressed them, it's been very, very minimal changes and only after we organized. And the response to, we presented the union cards to them in December and they didn't give us a response or they said, you know, you're, you're students, you're not workers and we won't recognize your union. So we're headed towards a strike right now because we have given the IU administration, again, three years of opportunities to improve our conditions meaningfully to make a real commitment to graduate education at IU, to make IU more accessible, to make IU more livable. And they have refused to come to the table with us. And so when we vote on a strike, this represents sort of the culmination of these three years of conversations and us saying, you know, we've tried all of our other options. And so this is, this is where we are now. And it's a really powerful moment. And it's something that we see happening across the U.S. at higher education, you know, around the country that graduate workers are coming together and saying, we're workers, we do work, we deserve to have a dignified life on this campus. Just as a final note, we're super, super proud to have the support of so many members of the IU community, of the Bloomington community, and of the broader state um, community. That includes, you know, more than 450 faculty, more than 640 undergraduates have all signed on pledges of neutrality, pledges of support, uh, we have endorsements from, again, both the IU student government, which represents both graduates and undergraduates, but largely the undergraduates, the support of the graduate and professional student government, and the you know broad support from other groups around campus. In addition, we have support from the AFL-CIO of Southern Indiana and the CWA and American Association of University Professors. So... We're really proud to have all this overwhelming support and all this agreement that is, is calling on us to have better conditions at IU, uh, a better distribution of the resources that IU has uh, to really ensure that the future of IU is one that is focused on education and focused on ensuring a dignified quality of life for everyone who works here. Elizabeth Williams, a fifth-year student in philosophy at IU, discussed low wages and the high cost of living in Bloomington. Williams says she has to work three jobs to make ends meet. She walked through how her experience informs her calls for better wages at the university. I'm Elizabeth Williams. I am a fifth-year student in the philosophy PhD program. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how much money we actually make and how much money it actually costs to live in Bloomington. So according to the MIT Living Wage Calculator, the living wage for a single adult with no children is $23,665. Uh, 
That is about $5,000 over the new minimum wage for College of Arts and Sciences students, which is starting at around 18000 People in other departments do not often make as much money. So people in the Jacobs School of Music, for instance, some folks are living on, say, $10,000 stipends. Obviously, since we don't make enough money to live on, a lot of us have to take on second, third, fourth jobs. In my own case, I have had to get a lot of parental help. So my parents pay for a lot of my fees. They pay for my car insurance. They pay for my phone. And I would love to be able to actually support myself. On top of all that parental help, I am also working three extra jobs this year. And a lot of the friends that I know who haven't had that same kind of support from their parents are having to take out loans. Every single year they're in the red. A lot of other folks take second jobs. Some of my friends have forgotten medical treatment because they don't make enough money. Others, uh, like one of my friends has some of his friends Venmo him money every month just for food. And it's honestly pretty humiliating to have to continue to live in this position where we don't make enough money to live on and we're here for, you know, five, six years. So if that's the case every single year, every single year we're going more and more into the hole or we're having to do more and more to make up for how much living costs are. And also, you know, with rising inflation, rising housing costs, even though we've had these recent raises from the College of Arts and Sciences in response to our organizing, that's good, but it barely makes a dent in the actual problem and disparities there. Annalise Kane, a second-year MFA student studying playwriting at IU's theater department, discussed her experiences as a graduate student and why she joined the Graduate Workers Coalition. Kane also explained how she believes the strike would benefit all students and faculty at the university. My name is Annalise Kane. I'm a second-year MFA in playwriting in the theater department, and I'm very excited to go on strike because my working conditions are horrid. Uh, I work two jobs for the university. I teach intro to playwriting, and I TA for theater history, um, and I only get paid $15,000 a year, along with $700 worth of fees that I pay back to the university each semester. When I first came to IU, I was awarded a second fellowship for my accolades before coming to the university, but all of that went to fees. I never saw a penny of it. Um, I've also been very excited about the support that I've gotten from the students when I've been talking about going on strike. They are also equally dumbfounded with our working conditions. Uh, as one student told me, uh, give them hell. <laughs> uh, when I spoke to them about it, I was particularly excited to talk about all of these students as I've found a lot of uh, goodwill and excitement around change in the university happening. Something that we're told a lot in different academic institutions as students is to be better self-advocates. And I think this is a perfect example of what uh, the zenith of that self-advocacy could look like. And although this is going to improve working conditions for the grad workers specifically, this also provides an opportunity for undergrads and faculty to have more access to the university's resources. I can speak to the, the theater faculty in particular. They've been fighting for better wages for us for years now, and the university hasn't budged. The way I see it, better working conditions for the grad workers means better learning conditions for the students. That gives us more time to prep for our courses, more time to grade, especially in the arts, the more time for the precious like wondering and wandering you need to be a creative human being. 
When organizers spoke on condition of anonymity, they discussed why they believe workers need a union. They complained about how salaries are not enough to make a living in Monroe County and that a union helps to hold the university accountable in this regard. Of course, there's many graduate workers in a number of departments who this does not apply to, and it still is not sufficient salary to cover the cost of living for Monroe County. But it highlights a really crucial fact about the necessity of a union for graduate workers. Firstly, a number of folks have talked about the university already willing to offer some sort of financial assistance in the wake of our union effort, in the wake of our announcement of a strike. While these raises will significantly benefit our well-being um, and help us pay for basic living necessities, such as rent and uh, groceries and utilities and all the rest of it, it highlights the fact that while the the economic demands that we have are certainly crucial and really, really important. Graduate workers need a union in order to hold the university itself accountable, in order to ensure that additional groups uh, around the university and around the community that surrounds IU are also in the process of decision making. While the university has offered us raises today, there's no guarantee that tomorrow they'll take them away uh, and further pad their already heightened uh, salaries that administrators take home uh, every passing year. So a union gives us the opportunity to ensure that we have a seat at the table, that we are in a constant uh, relationship with the university with the rights and obligations to bargain with them over economic concerns, but also concerns of, as they call it, shared governance, where we can play a role in making decisions that shape and affect our lives. We can advocate for ourselves on our own terms and not on the terms of the university. And so a union provides us with that power and with that persistence of that power. The strike will begin at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, and an undergraduate student walkout will take place at noon. The strike will continue until Friday, April 15th. WFHB News will continue to provide field reporting and interviews with demonstrators about the strike throughout the week. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines are written by Noel Hersky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Mia Beach, Kate Young, and Abe Shapiro. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Don Guerra. And I'm Noel Hersky Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. 
Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 